Welcome back to Better Health, everyone. I have the absolute honor to be sitting virtually with Dr. Yale Jaffe, who is the founder and chief science officer of 3x4 Genetics, has co-authored three books and has helped develop and supervise nutrigenomic courses all around the world. So Dr. Yale, thank you so much for being able to be on and share all your knowledge. Thanks, April. I am very happy to be here today and looking forward to sharing some stuff around genetics. Awesome. It's going to be a great episode. This is going to be a really amazing episode for anyone listening, just to learn a little bit about genetics, what it is, the background. Dr. Yale is so experienced in it, and it's really going to be a treat. So to start us off, could you give us a little context on where you grew up, how you grew up, and like where you live now? Um, so I am, if you, you haven't figured out from my accent, most people get it wrong. I'm not from, I wasn't born in the U.S. I was born in South Africa. And up until seven months ago, I was in South Africa. And seven months ago, I moved to Seattle. So that gives you a little bit of that background. Um, but the interesting thing, I guess, is that I didn't grow up like you, April, having a, having a deep interest in health. I always loved playing sport, but I wasn't really interested in health. In fact, I was very like interested in art and becoming an artist. And in fact, I um, started off by studying architecture and, and not actually in genetics or science. And um, my, grand, my grand got cancer and, and died from cancer quite quickly, quite an aggressive and late cancer. And that kind of shifted everything for me. And I um, went on this journey leaving architecture and going to try to figure out, like you, having these burning questions of, you know, why did my grand get cancer? Why did no one figure it out? What could she have mm. done to prevent it? How could we have managed it better? And somehow landed up studying to be a dietitian because I thought that studying dietetics would give me the answers for health. Um, this was quite a few decades ago, and it was a, a monumental failure and disappointment. So that didn't go so well. It did not give me the answers I was looking for at all. And, you know, I was really trying to understand health. And, and unfortunately, dietetics was all about disease. And I wanted to know not, not, you know, what nutrient to give them when they were sick, but, you know, how we could have prevented it. And so I finished that degree um, and, and wasn't any happier for it, as many of my colleagues feel the same way, and went off searching. And I was just extremely lucky. I was living in London at the time, in, the, in 2000, so some time ago, and was approached by this, uh, this fledgling startup called Sayona, which in actual fact was the first nutrigenomic company in the world, the first company in the world to build a, a genetic nutrition tech. Mm. And they had one employee. That <laughs> was uh, Dr. Rosendale Garrison, who landed up being an, an incredible mentor of mine. And she was a geneticist and she was looking for a dietitian who specialized in genetics, which, mm. you know, in the year 2000 didn't exist. Well, actually, Dr. Ruth Dubasque in, in Florida did, but um, she was far away. So I fell into this amazing space 22 years ago. Mm. And I was so like, like, like you and I were talking before, like there was something about genetics that even though I didn't understand it, mm -hmm. made sense to me that I would find some answers and that something mm -hmm. about it would, would give me answers in a way that I hadn't been able to find. And that kind of launched me into this crazy genetics place and went back to university, got a PhD in genetics. Hmm. And that's it. 22 years later, I'm, I'm still in this wonderful field of genetics and nutrition. 
And we are so thankful you are because the community you've created and the education is so powerful. I would also love to know a little bit about as a child, what was your health like growing up? Were your parents really healthy? I know you kind of dove a little bit into like, you know, diet and like being a dietitian and all. What did that look like? So truthfully not actually, like it really wasn't the feature of our lives. I mean, I, I'd never remember conversations around health or nutrition. I mean, we ate in those days, because I'm a little older than you, there weren't so many processed foods around. So foods were cooked from scratch, which is fantastic. There wasn't so many processed foods to be able to access. But there really wasn't an issue in my family. Um, and my sisters and I were all sports crazy. So we spent a lot of time kind of playing sport. Um, but there was just that kind of three meals a day and a couple of snacks in between kind of concepts. So there really wasn't. And I've spoken to many people who would always tell me, oh, my parents were amazing. They were ahead of their time. They were really talking mm. about. But I was not that person at all. It really took my grand dying to kind of shift a, a huge kind of paradigm for me of paying attention to health that it wasn't a given. Mm. I think I just always, you know, just never given me consideration. So I'm not one of those who kind of spent my time trying to figure out how to solve the problem. It was really, it was really in my, in my late, in kind of my, well, I, I would say like my early twenties that I really discovered that health was something that I really should be trying to understand. Mm, so fascinating. So cool. So thanks you for sharing that. And then you started three by four, three times four, people say it differently. Three X four. I didn't even like, say the right one. <laughs> ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, you for correcting it. that. I always like to no say three by four because it just seems easy, but three X four. I appreciate the clarification. So you started that. How many years after you started diving into uh, more of the genetics in London was that? And and why did you start it? What was the passion behind that? Yeah, I mean, 3X4 genetics was actually quite recent. It's only five five years ago that I started it. And and for the, the, the 17 years before that, I was actually, well, well, doing multiple things. So I moved with Sona to America, to the US, where we built the first new, what we call nutrigenomic, genetic nutrition and test. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I, I worked with about three or four different companies where I, I kind of became better and better at building genetic tests in the nutrition space and obviously became more educated in the space. Mm-hmm. But I also realized that tests and kind of selling genetic tests was not really the solu- the full solution. So I actually mm-hmm. left genetic testing for quite some time and built an education company. And the reason I did that was because I realized that no matter how good the test was, and in fact, in retrospect, our tests weren't very good, if a practitioner doesn't know or a coach doesn't know how to use genetics with their patients or their clients, it doesn't matter how good the test is. And there was this huge, what I, what I call the knowledge gap, that no matter who you are, whether you're a health coach or an MD or an RD or a chiropractor, you do not get taught about genetics and diet and lifestyle in your degree. You just don't. Mm-hmm. And there was nowhere to go. And I realized this because, of course, I had nowhere to go. So when I was looking to learn about this, there was no way for me to go. I had to teach myself everything. I had to get a biology textbook and a genetics textbook. In fact, for my PhD, there wasn't even a supervisor for me. So I had to kind of cobble together a group of supervisors to manage my, my program. So I, I left for a couple of years and built something called Manuka Science, which was a um, the first real what we call translational nutrigenomics education program. And I, I didn't know anything about building education. <laughs> 
at all, actually. And I look back and I'm quite horrified how awful the slides were. And there was no like educational theory or learning theory. But anyway, we built it. And I, I had this extraordinary uh, co-author, Chris, Dr. Christine Horton from Brisbane, Australia, who, who built half the modules with me. And, I, you know, I built an LMS. I mean, it was insane what I didn't know. And sometimes mm. if you don't know stuff, you just go and do it anyway, yeah, right? So right. that was probably better. <laughs> and, and um, you know, we, we ran this education for practitioners all over the world, you know, mm. multidisciplinary. And that was amazing for me because I love, more than anything, I actually love teaching neurogenomics mm. to enable others to go and really impact people's lives. So I'm not the one that's necessarily seeing the clients, the patients, yeah. but I loved, I loved really empowering and enabling practitioners, giving them a place to go. Mm. And so, um, and then after building the education company, I opened a clinic because I figured that um, <laughs> if you, if you teach, you should figure out if what you're teaching actually works. <laughs> yeah. So so I opened a clinic with none other than Annalie Smith, who is now um, a head of mentorship and mm. clinical at Truth for Genetics. So she stayed with me for many, many years. And we opened a clinic in Cape Town that was called uh, the Center for Translational Genomics. And you couldn't come to our center unless you did a nutrigenomic test. That was a deal. And we didn't mm. even think anyone would come. <laughs> yeah. We had no money for marketing. And, and it was actually extremely successful. And through that, I started training other practitioners in South Africa who wanted to also put in their practice. So that was our first um, like, um, community. It was small. Mm-hmm. It was like 13 practitioners, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so so how did I get to three, four? So I, I, I kept on moving between education, clinics, patients, and building tests. Mm-hmm. And about five, six years ago, I had this huge epiphany that, I know this is going to sound really strange, but I really felt like, we had failed, really failed, failed quite significantly. And I was taking a really hard look at what we'd achieved in 15, 15 years. I was quite horrified. Hmm. I didn't like the genetic tests I'd been building. I thought that they they weren't valuable to the, to the patient, to the client. Mm-hmm. I wasn't convinced that the scientific rigor that we needed was there. I didn't think we were offering the kind of translation that we needed to be. You know, how does this really matter to me? Why should I care? Um, and I I felt that practitioners really hadn't been given an environment where they could really feel Mm -hmm. safe um, working with genetics and so I had to make a decision in about 2016-17 whether I was going to kind of close the clinic and just Mm -hmm. step away and carry on with education but not anything more than that Mm -hmm. and I made a decision rather to kind of step in and step up and that I would give it one last big shot to build a company that really try to fix everything that I believe to be wrong in the industry. So education, um, mentorship, not just mm. teaching content knowledge, but how do I actually work with my clients? How do I translate this? What does this right. mean? How do I how do I explain it? How do I yeah. build it into my program, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, the other one was building a community. As you know, we've mm-hmm. got a community of about 1,900 in our community platform at the moment, mm-hmm. which is probably one of my greatest things that I'm most proud about. Is Crazy number. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and as you know, in our community, we have education, we have mentorship, we mm-hmm. have teaching, we have events, we have Q&A, everything you could possibly imagine. And mm-hmm. then the last part was trying to figure out the science and actually like saying, you know, if I if all the other genetic tests I've built um, were not good enough, what is good science? 
in genetics. And so I built a completely different methodology of hmm. how you actually build genetics into a product, into a report. And, and 3X4, so 3X4 wasn't just let me build another report. It was like, how do I fix everything? How do I, hmm. how do I build a company that everyone will truly love working with? And, and grow and upskill themselves. Whether you're someone who's never heard the word genetics before and you just want to dip that toe in and start learning, whether you're someone who's been in the space for 20 years but just feel discontent like I did, mm-hmm. I really wanted 3X4 to be the company that kind of uplifted the whole industry and wasn't just about like this little another test. So I know that was a long a long conversation there, but but I think it tells you why, why yeah. I started 3X4. No, that's perfect. Yeah. That's really perfect. And, you know, you really are changing the industry in, in the approach that we take to health. And I know you have, there's like the sink analogy and the overflowing sink, and we can get into that in a little bit. Um, but it really shows that it doesn't matter the title you have behind your name, PhD, whatever that may be, MD. If you don't, you're not trained in genetics, it doesn't matter if you have that behind your name, because the next person that does not, you know, could have way more education on the back end of genetics than that person because they didn't, they weren't taught that in, in their schooling, wherever they went. And so it just really shows that yes, having that title behind your name is cool, but it might not make a difference when it comes to genetics. Not in this space, you know, I, I, it's just no one, no one can go to university and become an expert in nutrigenomics. That's clinical, like translational stuff. I mean, you can go do a PhD, mm-hmm. give you a very nice thing after your name, but it actually gives you absolutely no ability to work with a client, like none whatsoever. Right. So I always say like people like, be careful, be careful when you're choosing degrees, why you're choosing them. Mm-hmm. Because the reality, and I always say this, like, my experience, and I've been working with practitioners for 20 years now, is that, you know, get your undergraduate, whatever that is, you know, get mm-hmm. your help, whatever it is, whether it's coaching or MD mm-hmm. or a psychiatrist or a chiropractor or a naturopath, but what you do afterwards is really what counts. Mm-hmm. So whether, you know, you're studying functional, integrative nutrition, whether you're doing nutrigenomics, like it's really the stuff that you've had on top of it. Yeah, that that really creates a success. And I've seen this time and time again. It isn't mm-hmm. that first degree that defines how successful you are with your patients. It's right. the kind of choices you make afterwards. And I just wanted to provide a, a safe, trustworthy space where you could come and learn about nutrigenomics as much or as little as you mm-hmm. wanted to and, and know that you could trust us mm-hmm. uh, to kind of teach you and also give you something that had like really good science behind it. Totally. I love that. I love it so much. Uh, diving into now what genetics is and the basics of it, could you paint a picture using frameworks, um, what variants are, just like the very okay. basics for people that are like, uh, could you educate me just on what genetics yeah. is? <laughs> what are you talking about? All right. right. So there's two, two concepts we need to understand in genetics, mm-hmm. genetics and epigenetics. So I'm going to talk about, start off by talking about genetics. So genetics is all about our code. So we all have this DNA blueprint, which we all hear about, which is really just a code. And like the language of English, which is 26 letters in, our DNA code is four letters, A, C, T, and G. And these letters spell words, and the words make sentences, and the sentences come together to tell a story. And and really, that is DNA. DNA tells the story of who we are, and it does it using spelling, words, and, and sentences, which are genes, right? So the interesting thing about humans is we're 99.9% absolutely identical in our DNA sequence. 
But a 0.1%, we're different from each other. And that means that at three to four million places in this sequence, we have what I call spelling changes. Now, spelling changes just mean that where someone has a T, someone might have a G. Where someone has a G, someone might, literally, there are spelling changes. And actually, it's these spelling changes that really define who we are. And I always say, like, genetics gives us insight, and I love the word insight, right? It's my big word, into who we are, how we respond to the world around us, how we exist in the world around us. So how we respond to the food we eat, the supplements we take, the toxins in our environment, the stress mm. we encounter, trauma that might happen to us. Every single person who might be listening to this knows that we respond differently. And mm. genetics is the answer into understanding that. And, and another word I often use for nutrigenomics is responsiveness. Why do we respond differently? And genetics can give us insight by understanding these spelling changes. So when you do a, a three, four genetic test, what you're actually doing is you're looking at 157 different spelling changes that have somehow changed our biochemistry, somehow changed something about the body and how it's working that then gives us information about who you are and what may be different for you. So that's the first conversation, right? Genetics. And we can study that with a cheek swab and look at those spelling changes and gain insights. Mm -hmm. So insight's our first big word, genetics and insight. And then the second part of the equation is epigenetics. Now, epigenetics is a word that's bandied around like crazy. Mm -hmm. No one actually understands what it means. But epi means above. So epigenetics mm -hmm. is everything outside of genetics. In other words, everything that isn't the code, everything that isn't spelling changes. Now, spelling changes, just I should say, the word, we use lots of different words for spelling changes, right? Genetic variations, gene variants, polymorphisms, hmm. single nucleotide polymorphisms, horrible, horrible words like mutation or defects, horrible words, yeah. but they all mean the same thing, right? Spelling hmm. change. But when we talk about epigenetics, we're talking about things that aren't in our code. Hmm. And the awesome thing about epigenetics is everything in our world will change the way our genes behave or express mm. themselves. And genes essentially switch on and off. And when they switch on, they make a protein, which might be an enzyme or a hormone or a brain messenger. And they switch off and they shut down that protein and they stop making that enzyme or protein or that hormone. Mm -hmm. And every single thing we do, every minute of every day, will switch on and switch off genes. So when we meditate, we're switching on genes or switching mm -hmm. off genes. When we eat broccoli, we're switching on genes. When we sleep, we're switching on genes. When we eat sugar and sodas, mm. we're switching on genes. So if, I always say like, it's not this broad concept of health. Every minute of every day, when we take a decaf coffee versus a latte double calf, it changes the way our genes express themselves. Mm. So on one side, we have the conversation of insights we study our spelling changes to understand who we are. On the second part is action. What choices should we be making to switch on and switch off genes in such a way that will send us into this real concept of optimal health, mm -hmm. anti-aging, disease prevention, elite performance, or just generally like managing chronic complex conditions. Like, so we use genetics to to really be able to heal the body by, and, and when I studied dietetics, this is what was missing for me, that 
Nutrition was just about plugging holes. You know, let's take a vitamin C supplement, let's eat oranges. But actually nutrition, when they said nutrition is medicine, they were talking about this idea of using nutrition to change gene expression. And that's the whole conversation. And that is why genetics is becoming such an integral part of the conversation on health yes. is without it, there is no conversation around personalized medicine or personalized nutrition. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I love the equation and it puts it so simply. It's like your health is the sum total of your choices plus your genetics. That's it's- right. H is equal to G plus C. Yes. That's right. Health is a combination of your genetics and C is your epigenetics, right? Mm -hmm. What are the choices you're making that are changing gene expression? hundred percent. Perfect. And for those that are like, well, you keep saying nutrigenomics. Could you just define that for anyone listening? Yeah. So, you know, nutrigenomics really, it's tricky because the general Mm -hmm. kind of area is called nutrigenomics, but actually there's two different words. Nutrigenetics is those spelling changes. And nutrigenomics is how do you use nutrition to change gene expression? Mm. And these two words get confused all the time, so don't stress about it. Like, in fact, I started using lifestyle genetics. And the reason I love lifestyle genetics is when I started out in this business, I only used to think about food and Mm. supplements. Like, you know, but actually, as I've grown and I've learned more over time, I've understood this idea that it's not just about food and supplements. It's Mm. about every single exposure we have, exercise, toxins, you know, screen time, meditation, cold water immersion, like Mm -hmm. every single thing we do, relationships, connection, (laughs) laughing, singing, every single thing we do is changing gene expression. So I actually love this idea of lifestyle genetics and lifestyle Mm -hmm. genomics, where it's every single part of what the decisions we make in our lifestyle. And of course, food and Something is a huge part of that, but it's mm-hmm. only part of it. So yeah. I do have this thing that I kind of talk about nutrigenomics <laughs> a lot, but really the conversation is around lifestyle genetics. You know, what are the choices that we're making? Exactly. And could you give the analogy, explain the analogy of the overflowing sink and the influence of, you know, getting to, to the root cause, which yeah. is your blueprint and what that, what that entails? So one of the other problems uh, with genetics over the past is that it's been very disease-based. So they would be like, oh, here's the gene for obesity. Here's mm-hmm. the gene for diabetes. Here's the Alzheimer's gene. Well, genetics does not work like that, right? So there's no single gene that results in a condition. It's, there are some medical rare, rare gene variations mm-hmm. that cause disease, but that's not what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. That's like 0.001%. So what we're interested in is um, so we come from a paradigm of functional medicine and integrated medicine, and that teaches us that we really want to understand what, what exactly what you said, root cause analysis. We know that the big diseases, whether it's diabetes or arthritis or cardiovascular disease or cancer, does not happen overnight. You don't wake up like the next morning and go, oh, yesterday I was fine and today I've got cancer. You know, it takes 20, 30, 40 years mm-hmm. for dysfunction to happen in the, in the body that over time, in, you know, grows and grows and then will manifest a symptom mm-hmm. and then ultimately manifest as a disease. So we're not interested in trying to find a gene for di- diabetes. What we're interested in is what are the spelling changes that have changed something in your body in the way it's functioning, particularly in the biochemistry, right? 
how the body's functioning, the engine of the body, that over time has caused a dysfunction that will manifest eventually in symptoms and a disease. Because if we don't, what we call go upstream, right? Mm -hmm. Go right back to what we call our core cellular system, inflammation, detoxification, oxidative stress. We -hmm. cannot um, delay a disease, we cannot prevent a disease, and we can certainly not manage a disease. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem with a lot of pharmaceuticals is that we use drugs to target a symptom mm-hmm. that is related to a disease. So we'll use, you know, insulin or metformin to manage our blood glucose, but it doesn't tell us anything about why we had dysregulation or dysfunction of our blood glucose in the first place. So we uh, don't only teach this concept of kind of nutrigenetics, you know, spelling change and thing. We also teach about how do we go right back to find out the root cause, why, what was dysfunctional in our past, and that may be five years, 10 years, 20, 30, or 40, that has manifested this way. And then if we can fix it upstream, mm. it'll have a fantastic impact downstream. So that is, you know, and, and we do that another, the other important thing we do differently from all other genetic companies is we group genes together. Because mm. as I mentioned, you know, no one gene is going to cause a disease. No one gene is going to, be responsible for detoxification. So we group gene variants, spelling changes together, mm-hmm. and we see what the impact is in their body, and we come up with an overall impact of how your genes are impacting that area. And we call that um, pathway-based analysis, mm-hmm. which is also kind of a very different way. So we don't give recommendations on a single spelling change. We don't give supplement recommendations or exercise recommendations just on one gene. But we group them together. By grouping them together, we really get a, a much better idea of what the impacts of your genes are on these areas of health. Totally. And I know that oftentimes people refer to the conveyor belt, and I love that analogy. I also made up an analogy where it's like kind of like a five-step math problem or 10-step. What You can put the number in there, but how, whatever the outcome is of that algorithm it's like there are multiple steps and multiple equations to get that outcome. It's like if you have a five-step equation that you need to get this outcome for and you just do one step of it, yeah. you're going to get a totally different outcome and it's not going to be correct. And you need multiple steps or in other words, multiple genes and multiple processes to equal that outcome. Exactly. And yeah. that's, I mean, and, and you can even take that analogy further. So there's two things. So one is, you never look at a single gene in isolation. Mm. You never look at even a single group of genes in isolation. So you wouldn't only look at detoxification genes and not look at all inflammation and oxidative yeah. stress and glucose and insulin and hormones. And then I would take it even further. You never look at genetics in isolation. Mm. So you never do a genetic test and give a recommendation. And this is the problem with direct consumer genetic testing mm. is that you can order your own genetic test online and you get a report. But mm. the reality is they don't know who you are. They don't know what your history is. They don't know what your goals are. They don't know what's worrying you, what's keeping you up at night. Mm -hmm. They don't know what your biggest health concerns are. So how do they produce a report out of context of who you are? So I always say, you know, Mm -hmm. genetics is a beautiful piece of the puzzle and an absolutely vital piece of the puzzle, but it's only a piece of the puzzle. Right. And and so these are red, what I'm talking about, like red flags, you know, is that no matter how much I love genetics and I truly love genetics, it is only one piece of the puzzle. Right. And we must always look at it as a lens 
in the context of who you are as a person mm-hmm. and what your health journey is and how we want to help you. And I think, you know, that's really important to understand that genetics is an insight into who you are, but it is not the only insight into who right. you are. Right. It's like the blueprint, but let's take all the other influences for that blueprint is to why it's epigenetics actually- and genetics, right? Exactly. So who are you? And then what are the choices you're making? And then also, what are your health goals? You know, right. you've got to have those pieces of the, the puzzle. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to help someone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, such a beautiful picture. So thank you for explaining that. Um, I'd also love to tap a little bit into the te- technology of where genetics was and where it is today. And where do you see it going in the future? So mm-hmm. give a little insight as to what's happened the last 20 years, where we are, and what you think is going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So the, the greatest advances in the world of genetics, remembering that I, up until five, six years ago, I kind of seen genetic testing as a failure. And I do, you know, this is our constant battle is to really, we have way too many genetic testing companies. Every day we're getting another genetic testing company in the market who's taking advantage of the kind of trend of genetics. Mm-hmm. So let's, so why, why is that happening? Well, here's why it's happening. So in 2000, when I am... Um, when I first started in genetics, mm-hmm. you could, we were like paying whatever, $200 to have like 20 genes tested. Mm-hmm. Um, now the reality is the amount of money we paying for genetic testing to a lab is still not very different, mm-hmm. but instead of getting 20 genes tested, I'm now getting like 800,000. So the ability to test these gene variants, these spelling changes is exponential. So my, my ability to get a chip at a lab and, and get data on 800,000 spelling changes has become really easy. And that is the main difference between 2000 and 2022. But here's the problem. Just because we can test it doesn't mean we should. Mm. Just because we can test it and get a data answer doesn't mean we know what to do with it um, clinically. Mm-hmm. So what's happened in the industry, as you'll see, is there'll be companies going, we test 500 genes, we test 1,000, we test 100,000. Well, we test 800,000, but we only report on 157. Mm-hmm. And the reason being that we need to be sure that, first of all, there's, the science is good enough, that we, we know from the research literature that this gene variant, this spelling change has been really well researched. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing is, does it make a difference knowing this information? So mm-hmm. if I do this genetic test and I get this information about the spinning change, will it help me make a better decision working with my clients and my patients? Mm-hmm. Because if it's just data, it's not useful to anyone. And I always and say like a lot of the genetic testing companies are selling a lot of data and they can sell it at a cheap price, mm-hmm. but it's still just data. So the most important shift, and this is what I realized a couple of years back when I was looking at companies, is that it had got very easy to test, but Mm. was still very hard to translate. And that's why we have education, and that's why we have mentorship, and that's why we have what we have, because if you can't add value to your patient or your client's life, if you can't make a better decision for them, help them Mm. make better choices by understanding the spelling change, it doesn't matter if the test is $10. Right. It's still expensive because it's just data. Mm. So the great challenge is that technology actually was really fast, 
but the ability to translate genetics mm. was not. And so a lot of the companies in the marketplace, and also you'll get companies like 23andMe, who have been like the strongest company and ancestry to come for um, testing because they were selling ancestry. Now, ancestry is quite simplistic in a way of, you know, you don't really need to know what I'm eating for breakfast. You just yeah. do my DNA and tell me where I'm from and who my cousins are. Mm-hmm. And we know that the 95% of all tests sold by at 23andMe and Ancestry are about ancestry and not about health. Because mm. if you look at the report that you get from 23andMe, it's got no translational value. So, you know, they'll mm. tell you you've got, you know, wet earwax or potential for unibrow or blue eyes or, <laughs> you know, your urine smells of asparagus. But how does it help you make better choices for when you wake up in the morning? Right. And so the industry has been driven not by health, but by data. And then, mm. you know, you have companies like 23andMe who sell the data to third parties like pharmaceutical companies for drug discovery, which, by the way, I have no issue with. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's a brilliant idea for drug discovery, but it's not about health. Right. So, you know, you've got to know when you're looking at companies and you're trying to decide which companies to work with or which companies to do a genetic test with, you've got to know why they're doing the genetic test and what you're going to get from it and, you know, what their mission is for the company. Yeah. And I think 23andMe is a great company, but they're not a health company. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, that is the challenge of genetic testing today is finding value, mm. not data. Mm. So good. Yeah. It's, it really is the decision between, okay, what is your goal when it comes to genetic testing? Maybe you want to just find out about your ancestry and that's great. And that's great. And that's great. And also you can find out a lot of different other options when it comes to your health aside from the ancestral aspect of it all. And it really comes down to what do you want, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And what is the question you're trying to answer? You know, so Mm. why do I get migraines? Why am I tired in the morning? How do I prevent getting cancer? Like someone in my family had, like, how Mm. do I improve my running times? Like there usually is an answer that you, or how do I, you know, just eat the most optimal diet I possibly can for me, you know? So, so when there's an answer that, a question that needs to be answered, you really need that personalized health journey and you're yeah. not going to get that from, yeah, totally. you're not going to get them from those companies. It's, yeah. It's not that taking the holistic approach as no. <laughs> others are and, and, you know, working with someone. Exactly. Exactly. So, so many, so much good information here. I just love it. And we could go on obviously forever. Um, but to start to wrap it up, what are a few key takeaways that you have for listeners? Self-knowledge they used to say like know thyself mm-hmm. so giving yourself the gift of knowing yourself and we say you don't know what you don't know and anyone who hasn't done a genetic test never experienced this but you really don't know what you don't know and there's always a gem in there to understand your journey and your story so mm-hmm. you know um i believe there's an inevitability that every single person will have their genetics done yeah. because we need to know who we are and why we're different so that's mm-hmm. the first thing the second thing is is that Every choice, just coming back to this, I'm going to say it again, but people always think like this law of averages, you know, overall, if I just eat more vegetables, overall, if I kind of don't drink too much coffee. No, the way to think of it is every minute of every day, every choice I am making is switching on and switching off genes. And that's a big responsibility carry, right? But it's also (laughs) wonderful because it means that in the next minute that you're living, you can make a different choice exactly. that is going to have an amazing outcome. You don't have to wait for a month 
or six months or a year, you can literally make a huge change to your body in the next minute after you listen to me. So that's, I don't know if that's the second or third. I know the third one was said like, eat more broccoli. <laughs> always, <laughs> always eat more broccoli, right? <laughs> broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. And, and you know, we, we it's just um, the raw cruciferous vegetables, your broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, they're just magical. Absolutely magical. So that would be my my third one. Detox and glutathione right there. <laughs> just they just they they've got magic in them, magic yeah. molecules. Totally. I love that so much. So thank you for all the content that you just shared with us and education and um just your honesty and authenticity. It was it's really amazing to be able to talk with you about this. Um, so now we're going to dive into what I like to say the oh, hardest dear. part of the whole entire interview. <laughs> <It's> nervous. <It's laughs> nervous. The first question I have for you, Dr. Yale is what books are you reading right now? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm reading a bunch of books. I, so I, um, <laughs> I have a, a Kindle where I read like, um, good novels or I believe I try to read good literature. So I'm, I think I'm reading, um, um, so even I guess the moment because I'm actually part of a book club and I, they told me I had to read the book and then I have um, Audible which I absolutely love so I hate wasting time I like to fill up every spare minute so when I'm driving especially yeah. or cleaning the kitchen or cooking I play audiobook yeah. and so um, and if I tell you what I'm listening to a little bit I'm listening to Lucinda Riley because I buy audiobooks for my mum and I bought it for her and I've been listening to audiobooks. So I'm listening to that. And then I'm reading um, a wonderful book called um, a- um, Adversity Through Adventure, which is an incredible mm-hmm. book about a, a, a blind adventurer who summited Everest. Wow. And he talks about the value of adversity and how it grow, how it how it builds us into kind of better people, really. Mm-hmm. That that's you know, taking on these big challenges that have discomfort and adversity built in there and that's one of my mantras actually is finding comfort in discomfort mm. so um I don't know if you know but I'm a, I'm a crazy cold water swimmer I absolutely am obsessed with cold water swimming we can relate I, okay. I knew I liked you Dr. Yale <laughs> yeah you can see my I've got photos behind me yes. of, of swimming but so um the, the only thing I'm as passionate about is genetics is swimming and mm. especially in the wild in the outdoors and um especially in the cold and um, so I'm always, um, I'm always interested in, people always ask me why I do it. Why do I put myself into such uncomfortable um, situations? And so that speaks to this idea of adversity and how it makes us stronger and, you know, builds our brain processes. And of course, cold water swimming is wonderful for health as well. Yeah. So Vegas nerve stimulation. So that's, that's my big passion, yeah. I love that. I knew I liked you, Dr. Yale. <laughs> you also I, swim? You also? I, I wouldn't say I'm like some amazing swimmer, but I love like cold plunging and I love oh, beautiful cryotherapy in general. It's just, it's I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's just, I love the uncomfortableness, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Comfort and discomfort. I'm telling you, that's where we grow. That's where Definitely. we grow. Definitely. Yeah. I tried making a cold plunge literally like two days ago. And I told my husband, I was like, babe, let's, let's do this cold plunge. And I, let's just do it in the bathtub because I've been wanting to have an actual cold plunge and 
we're not going to get one for a little bit yet until we move. And I was like, I'm just going to uh, fill the bathtub up and it's pretty cold. Beautiful. And I wanted to get ice, ice, um, bags, yeah. but didn't. And it was actually like a good temperature. And I'm like, let's go. And it's so tiny, but it, it did like well I felt amazing after. Yeah. So <laughs> I would say like, if you, if you're not, you know, if you're not ready for jumping into a cold ocean yet, just have mm. cold showers. Yeah. I mean, cold showers are so powerful. Exactly. They are so powerful. Yeah. But, but of course, you know, why, why I'm such a fan of cold water um, ocean swimming is you do two things. One is you, you, you get your kind of cold exposure, but mm. also you, you connect with nature. And there's a huge um, idea behind being in an ocean and the salt and the kind of womb and, mm. you know, being vulnerable and humble around nature. You know, the ocean is so powerful and, <laughs> and um, can take your life away very quickly. So for me and, and Anneli, who is, um, I, I've mentioned her, who's um, head of clinical mentorship at 3X4, is my swimming partner. We, we travel wherever we go around the world. We always find um, some cold water to go and swim through. And so um, it's just, it's very powerful. So cool, man. This is, this is awesome. I'm, this is great. <laughs> Hopefully everyone listening is like, I'm going to go do that now. <laughs> go do that right now. If you find a piece of water, it can be anything, a lake, a river, a pond, mm an ocean or it can just be um a shower <laughs> exactly <laughs> great place to start. yeah it's a great place to start. uh the next question i have is what is your favorite food oh gosh you really caught me up this is this is going to be horrible for the podcast <laughs> i know i know it's so difficult i'm like no, it's yeah. not it's really easy it's macaroni <laughs> cheese it's like macaroni uh, cheese it's like yes. you know Making choices. It's like my favorite thing. I have a recipe so that I inherited from my gran. Yeah. The one who died from cancer that mm-hmm. she taught my mom and my mom taught me and I've taught my kids. It's a special family recipe. Yeah. And that's like my celebration food. So it's not something uh, I eat very often because obviously yeah. it's not the best epigenetic choice. Yep. But oh my God, I love macaroni cheese. I love yeah. that. Um, when I interviewed Dr. Carrie Jones, she's like dark chocolate. All the way, and I'm like, yes, well, you're speaking to me. Healthy, I mean, yeah, no, I'm healthy, right? Macaroni <laughs> cheese is going to figure on that top thing. Let's right? see here. I don't know, Doctor Hill. Let me let me try to scrap something up of why it's healthy. <laughs> no, it simply isn't, and it isn't even a healthy way to make it. And if you, yeah. if I've tried every way to make macaroni cheese healthier, and every time I do that, it's just horrible. It's just so not the it's, same. It's no. just a celebration food. Like it's yeah. my it's my go to. Like well done, Yale. Yeah. Good everything in moderation. <laughs> uh, the next one is what's your definition of intentional living? Yeah, look, it, it comes, I mean, it's going to be very cliche, but it really comes down to that kind of those choices. Mm. Um, just, and this is to be honest, why I love coaching and mm. I'm, I'm obviously not a coach. I'm a dietitian, genetics person, but it's because every intentional living is making choices. And what I love about choices is that you can always change them. Like no matter what you've been given in your life, no matter how you define yourself, whether it's like I've always been overweight, I'm never going to be slim, or I'm never going to run a half marathon, or I'm never going to make friends, or I'm never going to have a clear skin, whatever it is. Like Mm -hmm. intentional living for me is the ability to make powerful decisions every minute of the day to be able to change and own the direction of our lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I really believe it's never too late, whether you're, yeah. you know, 20, 30, or 40, or whether you're 80, you, mm-hmm. every decision counts. And how awesome is that? Like you can just 
by tomorrow you can have like changed everything. Yeah. So that for me is intentional living. That's good. And it correlates so much to, to genetics and, you know, epigenetics and what we talked about earlier. It's just perfectly fitted together. And then the last question I have is what's your favorite travel destination or maybe a dream destination that you have? <laughs> so if there's water, I travel. Um, so I, I, sort of, I have so many, I have a whole lot of bucket list um, destinations and they're all about swimming. So once a year, I, I travel to a destination and I go do these swim holidays for like seven days and I swim every day in like a, um, so interestingly, like in a couple of weeks time, I'm going to the Canadian wilderness to go swimming for seven days. So the further and more remote and bizarre, um, and then next year I'm going to swim Hawaii. Oh. Um, but obviously the Galapagos are high on my list mm. um, of, of, of my bike. And, and later in the year I'm going to swim Lake Carl in the Grand Canyon. Oh, so wow. it's, it's very easy to ask me what my dream <laughs> destinations are because uh, it's anywhere where I can go and um, swim far away from people in commercialized um, hotels, <laughs> out in the yes. remote wilderness. And I think that's going to keep me busy until my 80s, to be honest. I've yeah. got a very long list. Very cool. I, that's just amazing. <laughs> and then how can listeners connect with you, Dr. Yale? How can they learn more about you know, what you're doing and all of that? Oh, 100%. Like, you can go to the website. It's um, 3x4genetics.com. Very, very easy. If you're a health professional of any kind, you can join our community right there and we welcome you. You don't have to be selling our product to join our community. Come hang out with us. But um, there's also a contact form. You can get hold of us through the website. Um, I believe I'm sure I'm on Instagram, the Jaffe and LinkedIn and, and all of those. And you absolutely can reach out to me. Perfect. Awesome. Well, it's been an honor, Dr. Yale. Thank you for joining. Thank you for sharing everything that you know. And until next time, I appreciate it. Thanks, Oprah. Thanks so much for having me. 